Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Mimetic desire, the act of desiring simply what others desire, imitating what others want instead of developing our own intentional conscious wanting. It's powerful in our development, our world, and our everyday lives. Today's guest, author Luke Burgess, shares his expertise about this concept, how society influences mimetic desire, how we can determine what we truly desire, the impact we can have on the desires of those around us, and so much more. But as always, before we get to the show, if you have not yet left a rating and review on iTunes, please do so, especially if you've been listening for a long time. Rating and reviews on iTunes are one of the best ways that you can help others find the show so that they too can benefit from a life with less. As for my minimalist moment this week, I wanted to share with you some things I've been processing in regards to the idea of turning lemons into lemonade, that whole phrase. I was at a friend's house last week and long story short, Benji got into some glitter and it was all over my friend's carpet. My first reaction was embarrassment and maybe a little bit of shame that my son had done this. I just envisioned her walking down this hallway day after day with little remnants of glitter in her carpeting. So after my initial reaction, I looked to her to gauge how we should proceed and She looked at her daughter and said, you know, I really don't like glitter, but when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, right? She told the kids it would be okay if they put the glitter in their hair or on their faces or on their bodies. We sent them outside right after they did this so they didn't drag it completely around the house. But it was her intentionality in that moment about prioritizing positivity and not allowing, really in the grand scheme of things, something very small to make her angry or frustrated or fill in the blank of the emotions. It kind of goes along the lines of what I was talking about in this week's Minimalist Mantra, if you've had a chance to listen to that. Keep small things small. She was keeping a small thing small. And fortunately, she had a nice vacuum that actually got all the glitter up. I was so amazed. But all that to say, I really liked witnessing my friend's intentionality when it came to making lemonade out of lemons. And I've tried really hard to keep that mindset with my parenting since that moment occurred. Bad things are obviously going to happen. Accidents are going to happen. Mistakes are going to be made, especially when it comes to our kids. And I think if we can just make the most of the moment or turn something around, that is just such a great attitude and mindset to have. My younger self was naturally more go with the flow or easy breezy or just having this mindset that my friend had. I've definitely become a lot more tense as I've gotten older. So I thought this perspective was a good one to share and just a great reminder to say that your mindset can affect not just yourself, but others and trying to make bad things positive. You're not always going to be able to do that. Sometimes you just have to sit with the messy moment and walk through those emotions. But a lot of times we make things a lot bigger than they have to be. So I'm going to say the the phrase, even though it's overused, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. All right, let's get into this conversation with Luke Burgess. His book, Wanting, was one of my favorites I've read this year. I loved it so much that I passed it along to my husband, and he's been recommending it to his friends as well. So I can't wait for you to hear more from Luke right now.
Luke, thank you so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Hey, Diane. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So I reached out to you because I read your book a couple of months back and I even gave it to my husband and we both think it's a total game changer in the way that we're, we view society, we view our parenting even. So I wanted to talk to you about mimetic desire and your book wanting. So before we get there, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself to the listeners. And do you consider yourself to be a minimalist? I always ask that to everyone on the show. Yeah, I think that I do now. Definitely okay. wasn't the case early in my life. So um, I'm a veteran entrepreneur. I founded a few companies in my 20s and reached a point in my late 20s where uh, you know, I would say that my desires were a complete mess. My house was a complete mess. Um, my relationships were. Um, and I, I needed to like step away and figure out what, what was going on. Right. And I realized before I needed to declutter my house, I needed to declutter my desires because that was like the root cause of everything else that was going on in my life. I had five separate corporate entities. And I, I remember meeting with a lawyer one day and he was like, man, you need to simplify your life. Right. So I just went through my life without a whole lot of intentionality behind, you know, the things that I had chosen to, to pursue and desire. So, you know, that led me on a long journey. Um, where I took some time off. I um, moved to Italy for a few years um, and I did simplify my life. And that's sort of the turning point for me where I would say that I became a a minimalist, especially in the sense that I was able to focus in on my single greatest desire and sort of let my life take shape and organize around that. So today I am an entrepreneur in residence at um, the Center for Principled Entrepreneurship in Washington, D.C. I'm a writer. I'm still very much uh, an entrepreneur. And um, yeah, and that's a little bit about me. We're talking about mimetic desire. I guess I want you to define what mimetic desire is, and then we'll get into what prompted you to write about this. Why were you inspired and why did you take note of this desire in our life? So mimetic desire really means imitative desire. Mimetic is a fancy word for imitative. And I stumbled on this fascinating French thinker and social theorist named Brené Girard, who first put forward this theory of mimetic desire. And his basic idea was that human beings, you know, we think of ourselves as the authors of all of our own desires, that we manufacture all of our desires. But in fact, we're highly social creatures. And most of our desires, and we're not talking about the instinctual kinds like being hungry, but desires for more abstract things like careers, uh, lifestyles, things like that. Almost all human desire in that sphere is a product of imitating the desires of other people that have come before us. So the social environment that we're in, our parents, our family, our friends, exert incredible influence on what we want. And Desires in that sense are contagious, right? I even see this in my own students as a, as a professor at a business school. Um, when some students' friends really want to major in something, all of a sudden it spreads like contagion through the same class. All of a sudden, everybody wants to major in finance or something. So this force of mimetic desire was something that I recognized in my own life that I think explained a lot of my early decision-making or, or non-decision-making is probably the better way to say it. I just sort of like went the default route, taking all of my desires for granted and never examining them and realizing where they came from. So the key idea here is that each of us has, has models of desire. People in our lives that are modeling the desires for certain things that in a sense show us what to want 
or help guide us towards different objects of desire uh, in many different ways. And this idea really changed my life. It explained a lot of the kind of, you know, dissatisfaction that I had, um, the, the weird paradox of the more that I had, the more that I wanted, because I was, I was just finding new models of desire in my life. And it wasn't until I realized that, that I had to step back and have more intentionality about the desires I choose to pursue, the ones that I feed and the ones that I don't feed, that I was able to get out of that kind of vicious cycle that I was in. Yes. And I think that that's why this book resonated with me, because as I, I call myself a minimalist, I think I try to more live more intentionally more than anything. But I look at people and I look at myself even, and I see what my driving factor is behind wanting something, whatever it is that I may want. We want these things because we see that these influencers have them on social media or that our brother-in-law got a cool new Apple watch. And it's like, do I really want that? Or would I have wanted that if they didn't display it to me first? Consumerism in that realm of mimetic desire, I don't like it. But also you talk a lot about health choices and how someone might encourage us to pursue a more healthy lifestyle. And that is a good thing. So since reading your book, I'm trying to figure out what is a good mimetic desire and what is not. And maybe like how does society influence our desires in the good and bad ways? What are your thoughts on Mm -hmm. all that? Well, I mean, uh, mimetic desire is, is, is neutral. It's just the way that humans desire. Um, We're mimetic creatures. We imitate the desires of other people. Um, and that can be positive or it can be negative. So I think the goal is to, to be influenced in the right ways, right? So we can turn mimetic desire into something unintentional, into something that's intentional and positive. So an example in my own life, a few years ago, I was in really bad shape and I didn't desire to get into good shape. So I, I found a really good personal trainer who wanted something for me that I didn't want for myself, right? Like, you want to meet me in the gym at 6 a.m. I don't want to do that. So in a sense, I'm going to tether myself to your desire until I begin to want that thing for myself. So we often don't think of a personal trainer as a model of desire. We think of them as having skills and holding us accountable. But I think we're missing an important part of what they do, um, especially if, if they want something for us, if they desire something for us that, that we don't, at least yet. So in that sense, um, my desire was transformed based on that relationship. And that was incredibly positive. It was mimetically positive, right? Um, on the other hand, you know, there are negative, unhealthy mimetic desires around us all the time, right? The society um, that we're in, you know, there's, there's so many different forces, right? I, I tell the story in a book about a French chef named Sebastian Bra, who runs a, what used to be a three Michelin star restaurant in France. And, you know, he basically told me the story of how when you're he was born into a, a chef family, his dad was a chef. And if you're a chef in France, your whole life becomes um, a game to get Michelin stars. You know, the Michelin guide is this um, really prestigious guide that rates restaurants and three stars is the, is the highest rating that you could get. So his whole life is organized around getting the three stars. And then once he got the three stars, keeping the three stars. And he eventually was the first chef in history to ever tell the Michelin guide not to come and raid his restaurant because he realized that it was making him totally miserable. And he realized that he had been born into a system of desire that he didn't necessarily choose for himself. And he never even questioned. And 
I think it's safe to say that we all have a Michelin guide in our life, whatever that is, right? So, you know, for me, a writer, you know, I don't know, it could be what the New York Times has to say about my book or something like that. And it's really important to just know what that Michelin guide is or what the, what that system of desire is that we're in could come from our family in positive and negative ways and just be more intentional, right? We just have to be aware that it exists so that we can make choices about what we want to accept and what we don't. You talk about, I wanted to ask you this before, but you talk about thick versus thin desires. Can you just quickly describe what you mean by that? Yeah. So uh, thin and thick, these are just words shorthand that I've sort of coined to understand the the two major kinds of desires that I have. Mm -hmm. So if this is, you know, a a helpful um, sort of rubric for you, please, please use it. Um, So a thin desire for me is just a highly mimetic desire that isn't grounded anything real. So a typical thin desire will be gone tomorrow, next week, next year. It's not enduring. It's not going to last. The, the things that I look back on and they look silly to me. Like when I, I just recently cleaned out an old house, you know, and I just saw some of my old clothes, some of my own trof- old trophies, things that I cared so much about at the time, right? There was nothing enduring there. Whereas a thick desire is, is enduring, right? It's something that I can invest in that, that builds on itself. The imagery that I like to use for a thin desire, a pile of leaves that blows away in the wind, because um, there's nothing really solid or heavy there. And a thick desire would be like layers of, of, of rock that, you know, keep, keep building on one another. And, you know, I want to feed the thick desires and I, I sort of want to starve the, the thin ones, right? So, you know, as the writer, I think a, a thin desire is, is the desire for recognition, right? The desire for certain people to say certain things. Um, and that's, that's really thin, right? Um, you know, but the thick desire is the desire to, you know, to communicate myself and express, you know, important truths. And just knowing the difference between those two things allows me to realize like when I'm getting pulled a little bit too much in the direction of the thin desires and I can take a step. But if we don't sort of, if we haven't been able to name them like that, then we're, we're much more likely to, to get caught up in the thin. Definitely. And I think, it is knowing yourself. It is knowing what you want long-term and short-term, but I think it is hard to know yourself when you're looking at everyone else and you're so focused outwards. You have to do some work to figure out what it is that you ultimately want. And I, I can't remember, it. it's kind of towards the beginning of your book, you have questions to start to ask yourself as you're beginning some of these processes in your mind. But I'm wondering what it looked like for you when you separated yourself, I mean, obviously we're always going to have a medical desire in our life and that's both positive and negative, but when you felt like you were living more negatively, what turned that around? What shifted in you? The first really concrete thing that I did was went on a retreat, not a vacation, um, an actual silent retreat for five days, you know, no devices, nothing, just me alone. Um, I didn't bring any friends with me. Um, just, unplugged from everything and creating some distance from all of the different noise in my life, because sometimes it's hard to discern what's um, a, a thicker, deeper desire and what's not when we're kind of in, when we're in the midst of all of the noise. So uh, that was incredibly helpful because what it did is it helped some of my deeper desires bubble up to the surface. And I began to see some of the more superficial ones for what they were. So that space is is critical. I, I, not everybody, you know, can can take five days, but even even an afternoon, um, you know, just start start really small, right? Something today, you know, naming who my models uh, were, like the important models in my life, positive and negative, was really important. 
taking an inventory of you know the various things that I wanted, and literally writing them down. There's something incredibly powerful about you know externalizing on a piece of paper. You know what I want. You know very few people have ever done that. Like this is this is what I want, right? Don't be ashamed of anything. Like get get it all out. Um, and then, and then working through that, you know, over a long period of time, right? The, the change didn't happen in a day, but the self-awareness was really the important first step. And this is still something that I have to do every year. I, I try to go back and revisit that experience because it was so powerful for me. Um, so I would definitely recommend, you know, that, you know, if, if you're able to make some space, you know, and then having having, you know, being intentional also just about the, the things that we expose ourselves to. So for me, you know, that there were certain decisions that I had to make about social media because what is social media other than this virtual world where we're exposed to millions of models of desire at all times, 24 hours a day. And it affects us in ways that we really don't fully understand. I think um, not just on a sort of neurological dopamine hit level, but on a, the deeper level level of desire. So I think once I was able to do that, I was able to, to gain a little more freedom in, in choosing what it was that I wanted to pursue and invest my energy in. It was funny. I was sitting around a table with a bunch of women in my family and my cousin started telling the story. It was supposed to be really funny, a fun, really funny story. And I didn't find it that funny. But then when I looked at everyone else, we kind of encouraged each other to laugh. And then we ultimately started laughing. But I just thought about how even something as silly as that, that we were looking to one another to how to react to the situation. Yeah, well, I see that every day in my class, yeah. right? Sure. Um, you know, like how the students affect the other students in terms of participation, right? Like once the first hand goes up and once somebody weighs in, um, it, it's that much easier for the second and the third. And then pretty soon we're having a great conversation. So we, we do look to others, even in terms of how we're going to react. Um, you know, in, in political science, there's this interesting idea called this, the spiral of silence, where, you know, where if you're around a table, have, there's 10 people having a conversation and, you know, the first three people all sort of share the same viewpoint all seven other people just sort of assume that everybody does and then nobody says anything and it just sort of creates this self-perpetuating cycle. So I think there's that's also very mimetic, right? We can be mimetic in terms of our ideas and regulating our expression, you know, based on what we think other people want. And that's part of mimetic desire. And it's, I think that's part of why this, this is so important, especially in the world we live in today. Um, and But for me, it's you know, and I, and I see it in my own life, right? Like I recognize when uh, that negative mimetic desire is working and affecting me and making me, for instance, not want to express myself freely. And knowing something like that is really, really important. Absolutely. And you're talking about your impact on others or just how others have impact on you. Having this knowledge and this awareness of mimetic desire, how can we impact the desires in a positive way of those around us? How can we use this to our advantage, I guess? Yeah, that's kind of the final you know, closing thought in, in the entire book is you know, live as if you have a responsibility for what other people want. And I think every parent knows that, right? I mean, we, we affect what our children uh, want based on what we model to them. Same with my students. Um, they're paying 
far closer attention to what I want than to what I say or to what I say I want, if that makes sense. Um, you know, sort of desire is expressed in action, right? When somebody does something, it's because they want it. Um, so I think living with that awareness is, is important. Um, and my wife and I, I think, affect each other in in positive ways when it comes to desire. Uh, you know, we talk about this, like she's really good at stopping work at five or six. And, you know, we, we try to cook together. And, you know, it's something I, I didn't do frankly, before we were married. Um, and, you know, she's affecting me positively in that way. And hopefully I do for her in a couple ways too. Um, but I think, you know, being intentional about that is, is important. And for any, for anybody who's, you know, in, in a situation of leadership, it's also something really, really important to think about, um, you know, how are the decisions that we're making affecting what people want um you know what are the what are the goals within this organization that i am modeling as desirable for instance um it's not something that we often think about on this sort of deeper level or deeper layer of desire you know we think in terms of numbers but behind all of that are how we're affecting what other people want and i i just talked to a, a you know family just the other day who wants to leave this sort of legacy um, and in the city that I live in. And we sort of talked through like what they're investing in and what they're building. And we realized that, you know, what, what do they really want? Well, 20 years from now, it would be to, um, you know, they have a real desire for, to, to, for more nurses because there's a shortage of nurses. They want to create a, uh, they want to create a, a community where young people desire to go into healthcare. And we sort of came back to that and like, what, what creates the desire while well, education and all kinds of things like that. But we sort of got under the surface of just new buildings and new things to how we actually affect what people want. Absolutely. Well, is there anything, I feel like this is wonderful. I, I really hope my listeners are impacted by this conversation. As I said, I was really impacted by reading your book, but do you have anything else you want to share? And if not, where can listeners find you? One thing I would share is a very simple um, tactic and exercise that I I like to do to help identify thick desires. Mm -hmm. And it's something simply called fulfillment stories, identifying your fulfillment stories. And just ask yourself or ask somebody that you love to tell you about a time in their life when they undertook some action or some project that was meaningful to them or important to them in some way um, that was enduring, like the, the satisfaction and the joy that they got from doing that thing lasted, right? Maybe years. Because those stories of deeply fulfilling action are hints to what some of our, our thick desires might be. You can go back as long as you want in your life. So there's a whole section of the book that talks about this um, there's even a 30-minute online exercise that you can do, which is on my website, um, if anybody is interested in that. But for me, going through that for the first time was incredibly helpful at remembering some of the deep, thick desires that I had, some of which I had forgotten. So I'd, I'd say if anybody wants to learn more, um, please you know, consider reading the book. Uh, you can find me at lukeburgess.com, and I write a Substack newsletter as well. Uh, goes out at least once a week called anti-memetic 
and it's sort of um, experiments in anti-mimetic lifestyle design. Um, you know, just how to design a life of more intentionality um, to, to recognize the unhealthy mimesis when we're caught up in it and uh, just to make better choices. Oh, I'll have to subscribe to that for sure. Well, lastly, this is what I do with all of my guests. I ask them two questions. And one is what has been a beneficial resource to you that you'd like to share with the listeners? Hmm, a beneficial resource for me. Um, you know, I think it would be it would be that tool that I just described would be probably one of the most beneficial resources. It was introduced to me by my friend, Dr. Joshua Miller. Um, and uh, I revisit it all, all the time. So that's called the motivational code, the motivational code profile. And um, you know, I, I, it's an exercise I take all 300 of my students through every year. And when we go through that exercise, and, and you know, if you if you find it online on my website, it, it's very structured. It'll make it very easy to do. Um, I think you'll you'll learn something about yourself, and you'll learn something about some of the people in your life as well. Yeah, I'm wondering as I'm processing some of the things that you've said. I'm wondering if going back to some of our desires in childhood would be a worthwhile to think through. Like, if there was anything there that we really desired when we weren't. I guess children are easily influenced, but I don't know. I wonder if there's anything there if we thought through that. Absolutely. So when I first did this exercise, um, one of my fulfillment stories that I chose to to share uh-huh. was when I designed uh, an orange peeling machine in my fifth grade science class. <laughs> and I presented it for 15 minutes. I don't know if the thing would have ever really worked. I didn't actually make it. I just, it was just sort of idealize what this thing right. might look like. And I presented it. But I had forgot about it until I did the exercise and I remembered that particular story. And to this day, I got so much satisfaction for spending, you know, a couple of nights doing that project. And then the important thing was asking myself, why? Like, why was that so satisfying to me? And it it told me all kinds of things about, you know, probably pointed towards my, you know, tendency to want to start companies and, and to... Um, to invent things and entrepreneurship and all that stuff, but I just totally forgot it. So part of the joy and the beauty of of the exercise is actually just remembering those experiences that brought us deep joy. Absolutely. All right. My last question is what is something that you can't stop talking about? And this can be frivolous or it can be serious, whatever you want to share. So I can't stop talking about, well, food in general, because <laughs> my wife and I like to cook a lot. Uh, but I heard this quote from Anthony Bourdain, who I like a lot. And he said, three minus one equals four. And that has stuck in my head for the last couple of years and influenced like the way that I cook, actually. Um, I think I used to just like throw a bunch of things together. And you know, the, the saying is really sometimes less is more, right? Three minus one equals four. And I spent a few years living in Italy and then I realized like what's one of my favorite dishes in, in, in Italy. And it's, it's um, spaghetti aglio e olio, which is literally spaghetti with oil and garlic. And it's basically it. You could throw a little red pepper flake on it if you want, but that's all it is. And it's one of the simplest things. And um, it's actually just helped me cook more because when I go into it, I realize that like not everything that I make has to be this like complex, fancy thing. I can just throw some garlic and oil on some spaghetti and it actually makes a fantastic meal. And, and you know, the Italians eat like that a lot, right? Very simple things, right? One, two, three ingredients. So that's been something that I can't stop talking about with people, uh, with my friends. 
Have you read Anthony Bourdain's book? That, well, gosh, I can't even think of what it's called right now. I read his first one, Kitchen Confidential. But I, I don't yeah, Kitchen that Confidential. One. Yeah, that's what it was. I will have to read the book now because I think you're the third person that's mentioned that book and Anthony Bourdain in probably six weeks. So it's it's a fantastic book. Yeah. Well, Luke, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for sharing and for writing this book. It was wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. What did you think of the episode? I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com. There you'll find links to the Instagram account, Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.